Well, we have been looking at Matthew chapter 5 starting last week, talking about the pursuit of happiness, where happiness is truly found. And certainly, uh, Jesus' words <laughs> are not uh, the popular uh, slogan of the world. And we're going to look this morning at Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, the second of the Beatitudes. The last time we looked at happy are those who know they are spiritually bankrupt, poor, and have nothing to bring before our Lord. Today, I want to ask you to stand in God's honor as I read aloud Matthew 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Let's pray. God, we come before you, uh, as Logan has just sung, we are broken, Lord. And we are grateful that you don't discard the broken. Thank you, Lord, you're about redemption, reconciliation, restoration. God, you make new. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. So, Father, we pray as we continue in this time of worship that we would worship the God who's close to the broken hearted. So, Father, just continue to minister to us as you have thus far. And, Lord, I, I just ask that your spirit would speak. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. An airplane pilot was flying over an area, and his co-pilot looked at him and said, I notice you, you keep staring down at this one area. Any significance there? And he said, well, that's where I grew up. He said, I can remember as a little boy, I would sit down there. There's a log down there. You can't really see it from here. And I would sit there and fish in this, that pond. And I said, really? He said, yeah, and I would look up at planes when they fly by and thought, man, I'd like to be up there in a plane flying, plane. He said, now I'm up in the plane flying and I'm thinking, I'd like to be down there fishing, sitting on that log. We find ourselves hard to please. Often we are not happy and constantly seeking happiness. A couple of years ago, the magazine Psychology Today did a survey of 52,000 of their readers and they asked the question, what would make you happy? Where could you find happiness? A large group of those people, the number one response was, if I could just win the lottery. They had big dreams if they could just get a bunch of money from the lottery. The problem is, I don't think they read what happens often to lottery winners. Oftentimes, those who get the big paycheck find out that the big paycheck disappears rather quickly. I read about one winner, he won nearly $8 million. His wife and kids left him, and in alimony and child support, a million dollars disappeared. <laughs> the landlord won a lawsuit against him that took 30% of what was left over. And then he discovered that his brother and his brother's wife had hired an assassin to kill him to take his wealth. Doesn't sound very happy to me. Um, so finding happiness in a lump of money, that leads quickly too. 
then there were those who had plenty of money, and they asked them in the survey, well, what would it take to make you happy? And they said, well, we just don't have enough stuff to be happy. We have to get more stuff in order to find happiness. And actually, what was discovered more than anything, they were just bored because they couldn't find meaning. And it didn't really even depend on what part of the country they lived in. I mean, you would think maybe somebody in Florida would be happier than somebody in um, South Dakota. But none of that mattered. By and large, many of the same people were constantly searching for something else and did not find happiness in what they already had. As a matter of fact, one guy, he even listed a bunch of reasons why he wasn't happy. And then he said, and could you validate for me why I'm unhappy? Couldn't even figure out the source of that unhappiness. We looked last week, nine times in nine verses, Jesus uses the word makarios in the Greek, and it means blessed, happy, fortunate, enviable. But then he comes and he says things that are mind-blowing to our ears. He says, blessed are those who don't have anything. Then he says, blessed are those who weep, those who mourn. And he, and he says later on, blessed are those who are persecuted. People say all kinds of bad things about you. That, that sounds crazy. Matter of fact, you come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew, it's Matthew 5 through Matthew 7, and at the end of Matthew 7, you read how the crowd responded, verses 28 and 29. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. And you could translate that amazed, shocked. In other words, it was like, Bam! What? Really, Lord? That doesn't make any sense. It's crazy. But they also said, amazingly enough, because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. In other words, even though what he said was so contrary to what everybody else was saying, it was clear to them it was the truth. Their hearts were pierced with the words of Jesus Christ and what he had to say. Um, as a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 5, we discover five times he says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. In other words, Jesus was saying, I'm not quoting other people here, you're quote me. He was and is the authority to come the truth. So last week we looked at the fact that as you come, you've got to know that you're poor. You've got to know that you really have nothing to bring before God that is going to impress Him, that is going to cause Him to say, well, yeah, look at Todd down there. He's a good guy. I'm going to give him special favors. None of us have that. And today, in this second beatitude, He tells us that we are blessed when we mourn, when we are broken. As a matter of fact, there are nine different verbs in the Greek language that are used in the New Testament to describe grief. In other words, grief was common. God says, uh, your life will have grief. It is not merely about things that move you emotionally and and, and, you know, bring a smile to your face, but there's pain and there's suffering that comes. Matter of fact, Jesus being described in Isaiah 53, 
he is called a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, known as the suffering servant. I just briefly look here at five kinds of grief, five types of mourning. The first is the loss of a loved one. In Matthew 23, we read about Abraham. Sarah died and he was broken. Love of his life, he, he was crushed. People say, oh, you just, you, know, you just need to get over that. You, know? you got Jesus. He cried. He wept. And what about Lazarus? Remember who wept? Jesus wept. Jesus loved him. There is a pain associated with the loss of somebody that we deeply care about. And, and I, I believe God says that's okay. There is a grief process that, that has to occur. There's nothing wrong with that. And, and I know there's, there's some of you, got, you know, guys here, and, and you've, you've lost somebody close, whether it's a, a, a mate that you, you know, or whether it's a parent or, or a child. or, or That loss, uh, God understands. He understands that loss. Secondly, mourning for greater communion with God. In Psalm 42, the ancient songwriter writes, he says, As the deer pants for water, so my soul pants for you, the living God. He, he says, my, my tears are my food. <laughs> because God, I, I want to know you. There is a desperation among the ancient songwriter, the psalmist, to say, God, I want a deep relationship with you. I don't want to just merely go through the motions. I want to walk with the master. Lord, that's what I want. I want more than just being a church goer. I really want to be a Christ follower. I really want to be a disciple to walk with you, Lord. Then there's tears for other believers and for greater spiritual fruit. When Paul wrote to the church in the book of Acts, he, he wrote in Ephesians to the Ephesian church, I did not cease to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. Acts 20 verses 31 and 32. In other words, as he thought about the believers that he had been able to minister to, he loved those people. And he said, I, I am filled with, with tears as as I, I think about each of you and, and what's going on in your lives, and I just want you to have a dynamic relationship with the living God. And so he prayed. He prayed for them, and he prayed that the, the gospel would go forward through people that he had been connected to or was connected to in the faith. And we're all connected. And God, you know, I believe God calls us to have a burden for one another that we may be instruments of his grace and his love and his power. Next, there's a mourning over just the issues and challenges of life. As you look through the Gospels, you see that Jesus was involved with people. You know, he, he wasn't distant and, well, you know, make an appointment and you can see me, you know. Jesus wasn't like that. He walked among the people. Just a number of cases here. A father with a sick child that's mentioned in Mark 9, verse 23. He comes to Jesus and he's crying because his, his child is very sick. He's desperate. So he comes to Christ. Christ shows compassion. And then remember there's the woman who comes to Jesus and she begins to 
cry and wet his feet. He dries them with her hair, puts perfume on his feet. Why? Because she was forgiven, and she knew she was forgiven by Christ, and she knew she had a lot to be forgiven of, and it was clear to her as she came to Christ, and, and she worshipped him for his love. Then um, we read in 2 Kings 20, verse 5, King Hezekiah came from uh, the Lord, hey, you're, you're about to die. And Hezekiah freaked out. No, Lord, please, no, I don't want to die, I want to live. And God, in his mercy, added some time to his life. He was afraid, and God ministered to him. And then remember Esther. She went before the king because of the edict to annihilate the Jewish people, and she came with tears. She came with a brokenness for the people. And then Job, just physical suffering. He was in so much pain, and he struggled. Uh, This is from Job 16, verse 20. He says, My eyes pour out tears before God. And then one more, and that is the oppressed, where there is injustice, where they are suffering, and there's a burden for that suffering. Um, I listened to a podcast, it's been a few months ago now, that it was just so heartbreaking listening to sex trafficking and, and what is occurring, not just in other countries, but in our country. And, um, it, you know, some tragic stuff. And the guy that they had interviewed, his sister had disappeared 10 years ago. And she turned back up. She was one of those who had been rescued, but broken because of all those years uh, that she she had been gone, had been kidnapped, taken into trafficking. Uh, but there are tears over people who are broken. Warren Wiersbe tells a story in one of his commentaries about a train accident. And there were many of the passengers that were killed. One of the cases, there was a little child sitting on the lap of her mother who was dead. But the child was happy, didn't realize. But then when they came to try to help, they saw that the child was holding a dirty piece of candy. And so a person took that dirty piece of candy away from the child, and then the child began to cry. You see, the child didn't know anything about death, but she knew something about candy. And so when her candy was removed, she began to to weep and carry on. But she didn't understand about death. There are many who are 50 and above who act like five and below who are weeping over candy. There is some toy or there is something that they want that they are not able to have, and so they're crying over that, and they're totally engulfed in what they've lost, but they don't care about the broken relationships in their lives, or maybe a promotion that they didn't receive. So they're weeping over candy instead of eternity. And what matters mostly to the living God or a lost testimony for Christ, they don't see how critical that is. Because when it's said and it's done, there is Christ. So what's the context of this beatitude? We looked at five types of mourning. Well, turn me to the book of James. James chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. And we'll 
we'll see the context of this beatitude. In scripture here, it says, Change, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. What had He said just before that? Look at verse 8. Come near to God, and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, the context of this verse, Jesus is saying the way to find comfort is to be honest and real about your own sin, about your own brokenness, about your own desperate need for the forgiveness and presence of God in your lives. When that is missing, so is the comfort that you need, that you are desperate for, that we have to mourn over our sin to find the forgiveness that Christ wants to provide. You see, it is only those who mourn over their sin that find themselves able to receive the forgiveness and comfort of God. Until you know you're a sinner, you don't need a Savior. But when your eyes are open to your sin, you see that there is a need, a glaring need. And only Jesus Christ can provide that. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, we're told that as we confess our sins, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us or purifies us from all sin. In other words, not only has he forgiven our sin, but he has constantly forgiven our sin. That's the kind of Savior we have to offer. He is constantly, he is continually offering forgiveness. It never stops. Because at the cross, he said, it's finished. Our sin was paid for. And so in a very real sense, all that we have done, all that we are doing, and all that we will do, we're forgiven. Fully paid for through Christ. Listen, I want to share with you words. You guys know this hymn, There is a Fountain. Listen to the words of this song. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilt of stain. You know, the Bible says that our sins are like filthy rags. Our sins, red as crimson, they'll be white as snow. We lose all our guilty stains. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8, 1 and 2. Um, next verse of this. I'm going to read several verses. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day, and there have I, though vile as he, washed all my sins away. That thief was forgiven on the cross in that moment. Our sins are forgiven in that moment because of the work of Jesus Christ. It is not through our works. It is not through our effort. It is through His finished work at Calvary. 
And guys, we talk about that, but it is so hard for us to really get that and grasp that and continue to live in that freedom that the mess is made clean and whole. The broken is put together through the power of Christ. All right, another verse. Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God are safe to sin no more. There will come a day where the presence of sin will be removed and we will be in his presence and eternally in heaven. That promise is ours, that he will keep us in his power until that day. That doesn't mean that we're going to be free of suffering and pain and trouble and all of that. It does mean that he will keep us until he takes us to eternity. Next verse. Ever since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. I love that. It's our theme, guys. Redeeming love. People say, well, you just don't know me. How many times have I heard, well, if I went into that church, the roof would fall. They don't know what I've done. Well, it does. That is the power of the cross. And redeeming love is our theme. That's what we're called, to live in that redeeming love and to let other people know whatever you have done, Jesus will receive you. That's why he came to die, even for you, even for me. The thief on the cross found that love. And then one last verse. When this poor, lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave, then in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing thy power to save. That's to be our heartbeat. That's to be the message that is always near, always ready to share with other people. And especially, so many people are so broken. I told a friend of mine the other day, it's not completely true. I said, but I've gotten to the point, I'm not really surprised by much of anything I hear anymore. you know what neither is God <laughs> and his forgiveness is for all of us nobody's outside that scope and I listened to a preacher this week and he talked about a, a going to a mall and evidently this uh, happened uh, before COVID times <laughs> and he sat and he began a conversation with a man and they began to talk about their daughters who were the same age in the mall out shopping and so they were waiting on her and he quickly found out that this man was a Hindu. And they began to talk about their faith and their family. And um, they talked about some things they shared in common. And, but then these words caught my attention. This guy said, It was only when I told him that the difference between Christianity and Hinduism could be best summed up by the fact that he was hoping to have his sins somehow forgiven. And I knew that my God forgave my sins. He says, only then did he drop down his face and turn sad, painful. He admitted to me that his religion could never provide that kind of confidence. Are you a sinner? Yeah. Am I a sinner? Yeah. 
there is a confidence that comes because of the cross that no one else has. Because we have a Savior, although I am not worthy and you're not worthy, He is worthy. And we will sit before Him. Well, I say sit. We'll be on our faces before Him, I guess. Before, and He'll be on the throne and we'll be singing and, and worshiping for all of eternity. And it'll never get old. Just a beauty verse that comes. When he says, we will be comforted, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It means more than just to sympathize with one another, just to feel bad for one another because we're such cads. It means far more than that. It means that there is a comfort that will be infused that is supernatural. That's what he is talking about here. It comes from God's response to our awareness and our confession of our sinfulness. He does not leave us in that beaten, depressed, broken state, but He comforts us with the comfort that He alone provides. So I just want to look at several ways here how He comforts us. First, and I've already really mentioned this, by our confessions of sin. When we come before Him and we come clean and we say, God, I agree with you about myself and we do that he forgives and there becomes a confidence that God will not reject me that God will not turn away from me and alienate me and say well he's just he's just too messed up to forgive or deal with but then you begin to see more and more the real depth of the love of God the the love that sent him to the cross and, and, and the love that will carry us to Him for all of eternity. That willingness to be clean before God and to confess before God, it provides us with a comfort. Uh, another one of these, we are comforted by God's Word. I love Romans 15, verse 4. It tells us, For everything written in the past was written so that we might have endurance and encouragement of the Scriptures through hope. God gives hope. Who is worse? As we begin to get in His Word, and, and more important, His Word get into us, there is a divine comfort that is provided that God is real, that God is alive, and that God is at work. And that God wants us not merely to sit back and watch, but to actually be participants in kingdom. It's amazing that God would do such a thing. Third, we are comforted by God's Spirit. You know, Jesus said, when I leave, I will send another, a comforter. A comforter is the Holy Spirit. The word literally means one who comes along beside. He's with us, God. Comes along beside us. Uh, tells us in uh, Corinthians that we are able to comfort others with a comfort that we have received. Comfort from the Holy Spirit of God who has come along beside us and has ministered to us. Fourth, we are comforted by God's promise of our future. Revelation 21 verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from our eyes a lot of tears now for different reasons for all of us 
But there will come a day where tears of mourning will be no more. If there are any tears, there will be tears of joy. There will be people that we want to see that we will see. And I'm going to have a blast. I got some people I've missed for quite a while, and I, I'm, it's going to be I'm going to get Pentecostal. <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking about it. What a joy. And it will occur. We are comforted by the future that awaits us. Perfect forgiveness. Perfect restoration. New bodies. I get up in the morning and say, what did I do? I don't remember doing anything to be sore or to feel like this. What happened? No more of that. That'll be fixed. My stupid mouth that gets me in trouble. God's going to fix that too. And all of my weaknesses and all of my issues, redeemed, redeemed, redeemed. How I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Man, that's our future. And what a hope, what a joy that'll be. Now, for the one without Christ, here's what Jesus had to say. This is Matthew 8, 12. He said, in hell there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, for all the descriptions that we have regarding hell, the one that's the saddest is there's no hope of joy because you're separated from God. The separation from God prevents the blessing of God. That's, that's the biggest separation that causes us to be separated from everything else. Without God, there is no blessing. So when you take away everything that's good, everything you long for, everything that you desperately need, it's because God is not there. He has chosen to remove His presence from you. That's hell. With all of the descriptions, ultimately it comes because God has chosen to remove his presence. And that's eternity for those without God. So blessed are those who mourn over their sin. Do you realize you hadn't made it yet? you realize you're a sinner? There's hope. There's hope for you. There's hope for me. And the comfort of God that he continues to extend will carry us until the ultimate comfort of heaven that awaits us. Let's pray. God, uh, I thank you for the comfort that you provide when we mourn over our sin, when we are brokenhearted over, Father, our failures. But, Lord, it just provides the opportunity for you to tell us again about the cross, to remind us again that you are in the business of forgiving and restoring broken and Father, we are broken in many ways, not a lot different from those without Jesus at times. But we are far different because of what Jesus does. And I thank you for the work of Jesus Christ. And Father, certainly if there is anyone within the sound of my voice, whether it's online or, or here today, that same grace it extends, Lord, no matter where a person finds himself or herself 
it is not too far from Jesus Christ. He longs to forgive. He longs to bring you life, you thought. And I love that about you, God. So as crazy as it sounds to us, blessed are those who mourn. But it is those who mourn over their sin. Because then and only then are they able to hear, really hear, the gospel that Jesus saves. So, Father, do your work. In the time we describe as invitation or response, may we just respond to you. You know what each one is thinking and where each of us are. And, Father, just draw us near so that we can confess our sin and be reminded of all that you provide and you're so good. Minister to us and bring us closer in this time, Father. Maybe someone for the first time will receive forgiveness in Jesus Christ by receiving Jesus personally. What a blessing. Maybe another of us has just drifted away. And, and Father, it's a great time to come back. And Father, to come to you and say, thank you, Lord, for working in my heart and maybe a great time to say before the body of christ here today this is what jesus did and i need to tell you guys <laughs> to encourage you because he's encouraged me so father i just pray this would be a time that you'd be pleased as we stand as we sing and as we respond to what you're saying to us in christ's name we pray